Or some of the things I've noticed in these last days in Daniel 7.25, it says that Satan will try to wear out the saints. Are you hearing me? The Bible says that Satan will try to wear out the saints. There have been some people that have been going from one problem to the next. They've been going from one satanic attack to the next. They've been going from one little sickness to the next. They've been going from one setback to the next. And listen, these are the last days... And the Bible talks about these days that it's going to be the greatest clash between good and evil. These last days are not for wimps and sissies. They, They are not going to be the easiest of days to live in. But at the same time, they are going to be glorious. There's going to be great revival. And it's going to be some of the most amazing days to live in. But let me say that Satan is trying to wear out the saints. And so what I want to say just to those that are listening to this... You may be going from one thing after the other. And Father, we agree, and, and everyone's agreeing with me corporately, and those that are listening to this, you may be listening to this several years from now. It doesn't matter. I'm praying. I'm agreeing with you. But Father, I pray those that have been attacked and that have been going through an attack of trying to wear them down from one thing after the next, I'm asking you, Lord, on their behalf, that the blood of Jesus will come over them fresh right now that the Spirit of God will fill them and strengthen them. And I'm asking you to send angels right now that will dismantle and tear down structures that have been set up against them and their families, their bloodlines, their households, their ministries, their finances, and their health, and will literally break down those strongholds and push back the tides of darkness and bring relief. And I'm asking you, Lord, let the heavens open And let a new, fresh move of your spirit begin to be released into their life. In the mighty name of Jesus. And let me tell you something too. There was a time, a little while back, there was a guy that was arrested on an airplane. Some of you may remember it. He was trying to sneak in a bomb or whatever. If I remember correctly, it was the whole shoe bomber. It was an underwear bomber. Anyway, I think he was a shoe bomber. But whenever they wrestled him down, they said that his voice changed into this disgruntled, demonic voice. And I've heard this so many times in different scenarios and situations. But let me just tell you something. Some of you guys need to hear this. You need to listen to me. Over the course of your life, especially in the days that we're living, if you're going to have an anointing from Jesus... There are going to be people that literally hate. It's what, listen, it's what's in them that hates what's in you. You may be wondering, why is it that certain people that don't even know me seem to hate my guts for no reason? Why is it that I'll walk into a room sometimes and there'll be certain people that just instantly just can't stand... It may not be them. Are you hearing me? It may not be them. It may be what's in them or what's on them that hates what's in you and what's on you. And I really feel like you need to be aware of that in these last days because, listen, things things are coming up to a whole new level. There's going to be a major increase of spiritual activity in the days and years to come. People that are not under the blood of Jesus, filled with the Spirit and protected, are going to be open to all kinds of demonic things and even occult powers and abilities. 
And there's not going to be like a vacuum or some kind of a void or some kind of nether world where you live in between. I mean, it's going to become more and more black and white. Are you hearing me? It's going to become more and more light and darkness and, and contrast. And, and people are going to get either sucked in, they're going to get drawn in by the Spirit of God into the kingdom of God, or they're going to get sucked straight into Satan's kingdom. But there's not going to be any of this middle ground business. I'm telling you. And they're either going to be totally consumed and filled with the Spirit of God, or they're going to be saturated and filled with evil spirits. But there's not going to be some middle ground as we keep moving forward. Before Jesus comes, mark my words, it's going to become more and more that way. And so you're going to have to be ready for the fact that you may be dealing with spiritual battles. Just a regular day, you're just walking down the street, you're at work, you're somewhere, and all of a sudden it seems like there's a spiritual battle. And you need to learn how to take authority over the enemy and bind things that are in other people's lives. That may also be trying to hinder them from getting saved and hearing the gospel. But learn how to bind it up and take authority. And if you feel something weird going on, take a moment to go pray and bind the enemy. But anyway, I want to get into iniquity drives, but before I do that, I'm going to go through and explain some things about Satan's kingdom, about his fall. I'm going to cover some things that I have and some things that I haven't. But how many knows that we're living in a world and we're behind, in this world that we live in, we are behind enemy lines. When we're dealing with the kingdom of God, the Bible says the kingdom of God is within you. You're occupying till he comes. But this evil world system, this what the Bible calls Babylon, this evil world system, Adam gave it over to Satan, and therefore Satan is the little g, temporary God of this world. And he's exerted his influence in the earth, and I'm going to go through all of that. But we're behind enemy lines. And so the Bible said, one of the reasons why I'm doing this series, Seductions of Satan, is because of this reason. The Bible says in Ephesians, to have nothing to do with deeds of darkness, but it says, rather expose them. Satan's kingdom loses a tremendous amount of power just by virtue of being exposed. They're, they're more powerful when they're hidden. And they're in darkness. They're hidden. And the, their tactics are in secret. And what they're doing is behind closed doors. It's, it's secret. It's, it's under the table. People don't know what's going on. But once you shine a light in there and you expose it, just by virtue of the fact you shine that light in there and they're exposed, then they start instantaneously they're exposed, to lose power. Then they start instantaneously start beginning to lose power because they know how And people will start getting major breakthroughs because they know how to pray. That's usually what the deal is. People will start going through something live. Going on. And that right there shows that there's something that's in a dark place coming against them and they don't even know what it is or where it's coming from. But once the Holy Spirit reveals it to them, as soon as they get revelation and they start praying against it, it will instantaneously begin to lose power and be dismantled. So that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this series. Another reason why I'm doing this series is because there's just simply a lot of ignorance about these things. A lot of people don't know. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, ignorance is not bliss. 
The Bible says in Hosea 4.6, it says that my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. You read that and you think, how could, how could my people perish? How could God's people perish? Because they lack knowledge. They don't know. And so whenever they're going through things in life, they don't know what they're going through and they certainly don't know how to deal with them. These type of sermons will help people know what's going on and how to defeat it. So the, the battle is usually at the gates. Gates of hell are, are literally brass, they're brass heavens over regions. They're portals and, and doorways into people's lives. And people a lot of times don't know something's going on and it's stubborn. They pray about it. They pray with faith. They do everything they're supposed to do. But they don't realize that there's something somewhere where the enemy is trying to access. And it could simply be stuff they have in their home that's allowing the enemy access. It could be something generational. It could be an inner healing. Now, you know, sometimes it's not even a sin issue. It's simply an inner healing or the enemy took advantage of a trauma. And they need that to be dealt with. There's, it could be a number of things. It could be something from their past that they open the door and they never really shut that completely because they don't know how. They could have unforgiveness and not even realize they have it. There, there's just a number of things. And how many know sometimes there may be, and all of us can relate to this. I can relate to this and so can you. When you were growing up in the Lord, there were times that you didn't even realize that you were in sin in certain areas until the Holy Spirit showed you. You see what I'm saying? And a lot of times people don't even know. And, and the Holy Spirit will show them and say, you know, you need to quit doing that. Quit saying that. Or maybe He'll speak to them and say, you know, you've never really forgiven so and so. And they don't even realize that they, they have that in their life and then they'll repent. See, that's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And let me just encourage you as well. I, I heard this this week. I think a lot of Christians deal with this. The question was posed, well, I, I prayed for somebody that was sick and I didn't see the healing, which is not always a matter of healing. Sometimes it's a matter of a number of things, like a deliverance or something. But anyway, they said they didn't see the healing they said they had a dream. They thought it was prophetic, but what they interpreted was wrong. They said that they had given a prophetic word, but it didn't seem to come to pass, and they were discouraged, and they were like, what do I do? And let me just encourage you about this, okay? The Bible says in Hebrews, it says that by constant use, you train your inner senses to discern good from evil. Your inner senses, your, your spiritual vision, your spiritual hearing, your spiritual sensitivity, it's something that's developed. And what the enemy would love to do is whenever you prophesy and you don't hit the nail on the head, which everybody's done in their life at some point, you misinterpret a dream. It's, you know, you step out and you, you try to do something it doesn't work out. What the enemy wants to do is make you feel like a fool and give up and never do it again. But let me encourage you that everybody goes through that. Everybody. The great healing evangelists that you see that see a lot of people healed, there was a time in their life when they didn't. I'm telling you. So don't get discouraged and give up because that's what the enemy wants you to do. But rather, keep seeking the Lord. And keep getting intimate with Him and praying and, and, and using what God's given you because the more you use what God's given you, you're going to be developed and strengthened. Your vision will sharpen. Your hearing will sharpen. Your sensitivity will sharpen. And pretty soon what you say will be right on target. 
And you'll be moving with the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. But see, people think that the gifts of the Spirit are so supernatural, and they are supernatural, but they think that they're so supernatural that God literally just takes you over like a robot. And it's just like God pushes play, like you're some kind of DVD player. And all of a sudden these words come out that you had no control over. And then, and then it all ha- that's not the, really the way it works. That's the way that religious people that don't have the gifts of the Spirit in their life think it works. The gifts of the Spirit, the, the Bible says prophecy is subject to the prophet. And that what that means is, is that there's an element of humanity where the Holy Spirit is filtering through you and flowing through you and, a, and your humanity is involved. That's just the way it is. But you've got to learn to distinguish, and it'll come with time, what's the Holy Spirit, what's me, and what's the enemy. And as you keep being used of God, you're going to discern over time, that's the Holy Spirit. Or there'll be times that you you realize, no, that's just me. And there'll be other times you're going, that's a counterfeit. Something's not, I don't feel, something's not right. And you'll sense it. And pretty soon as you train your inner senses, you'll know these things and you'll flow accurately with them. You hear what I'm saying? But you've got to keep stepping out and letting God use you. And it, the, goal, the, the trick to this is simple. Just be humble. You know, when you give a word or something, just be humble and say, this is what I feel. You know, I'm coming to you with humility. I could be wrong about this, but this is just what I feel. And if you're a humble person, then people will receive you They'll listen to you. And as you develop and grow in your giftings, they will also respect you. Because they know that you've taken the time to to get developed in the Lord. Okay, I just felt like encouraging people with that. But don't give up. If you prayed for somebody that wasn't healed, it may not even be anything on your end of it. It could be that there's a stronghold in their life that needs to be broken before they're going to get healing anyway. So don't put so much on yourself. Amen? Just always step out in faith. And here's something I always do, and I need to move on, but I always ask the Lord to let the gift of faith kick in. I do. I pray that all the time because bottom line is I have a measure of faith. So do you. We all have some level of faith in our life. And at the moment of prayer, if we if faith is there, mountains will move. And so I always ask the Lord, let your gift of faith kick in because I know that even when my faith is not perfect, if his gift of faith, if his supernatural faith kicks in, then anything's possible because all things are possible to him that believes. So that's just, I just want to put that out there. That's what I pray all the time. Lord, let your gift of faith kick in because I want to make sure that faith element is there. All right. Let me get off that. And get on the word here. Alright, I'm going to talk real quickly. I'm going to try to move pretty quick through this about Satan's fall. But listen, you need to understand this because if you understand this foundational stuff I'm about to talk about, you're going to understand a lot more about spiritual warfare. But this is the basics. You can't, a lot of people want E, but you've got to get A, B, C, and D first. Okay? So I'm going to go back and explain some things. First and foremost, I want to talk a little bit about Satan's fall and who he was, what he was doing before he fell, because he is your adversary. And it's important to know about your enemy. Anytime the military goes to battle, they they go 
send reconnaissance and look at what's going on in the enemy's camp. They always do it. And even with sports, they always send a scout that will go to the other team and they'll watch them play and they'll see what their best plays are and their best players. And so whenever they go into practice that week, they're going to target that. And so it is wisdom to know your adversary. So that's the angle I'm coming from. All right, first and foremost, let me explain about the gap. Genesis 1.1, the Bible says that in the beginning, now who knows when that was, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, I mean, this could be millions of years ago. This could be billions of years ago. Who knows? All I know is from the time Adam and Eve fell in the garden till now is approximately 6,000 years. But who knows when God created the heavens with an S, the heavens and the earth. Are you hearing me? There's galaxies all around us that expand so far that there's no way we would even know how to measure that really. I mean, they try. So when you look at Genesis, it's really interesting because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the proper translation of Genesis 1-2, the proper translation is now the earth has become formless and void. That's the proper translation in the Hebrew. So you had God created the heavens and the earth, but now you come on the scene and the earth is in a destroyed condition. You have to ask yourself, what happens? Are you hearing me? You have to wonder, you have to speculate, and look at this and go, God didn't say, let there be an earth. There's an earth there. It's in a destroyed condition. There's darkness on it. What happened? And when you really look at this and you study this out, the Bible's not crystal clear, but it does give us some hints and some clues. And I want to present that to you because I want you to see how things were once before Adam and Eve and the way that this affects you now. Because you know what? It does affect you now. So let me explain that. Now, there's a couple theories. One is, is the gap theory that from the time God created the heavens and the earth, somehow the earth became a destroyed in a destroyed condition. Later on, it could be millions of years, who knows, later on God took the earth and he separated the water from the land. The Hebrew actually seems to indicate that God, when he spoke about the light, it's like, a light switch came on. It's not like the sun or the moon and all that was like created out of nothing, but it was like they were turned on. That seems to be what it indicates. And so God separated the water and the land. He put fish in the sea. He created vegetation. He put birds in the air. And then on the sixth day, He created mankind and He put them there and He made the earth into a paradise. It was in a destroyed condition. What most people believe, and I believe this, was that there was originally something on earth before Adam and Eve, and when Satan fell, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So he came down. You guys have seen it? Just like a meteorite coming down. It comes through the atmosphere, and it slams into the ground. So Satan fell from heaven. He took a third of the angels with him. They were cast down to the earth. And here's what it seems like happened. I'm just, it's probably easiest just to give it to you like this. 
It seems like God, at one time, He basically had all of His angels in all of heaven. And if you really study it out, it, it appears like Michael, who is known as the archangel, has an extremely high, powerful position in heaven. And he's a warring angel. He's a warfare-related angel. And he has a lot to do with Israel, but I'm going to say this, we're engrafted into the vine. So we're certainly not out of assistance from not only him, but other warring angels. And it seems like that there were three main angels that God had over authority positions. Michael was over probably what would be known as some kind of warfare. Gabriel seemed to be an angel of announcement. He was over the word of God being delivered. I'm just, this is just conjecture, but I think he probably has to do with the prophetic word of the Lord. The word of the Lord being given. You hear what I'm saying? The, the movement of the word of God. And so he probably, when you look at this, you have to wonder. Because Lucifer, at one time, was over the area of worship and ministry. I don't know if you've ever really thought about this. But Satan at one time was known as Lucifer. And Lucifer means a light bearer. He was the morning star. And I'm going to read all this. But did you know the Bible says that there were tabrets and pipes that were formed in him? I'm going to read this to you here in a moment. It's in the Word. But did you know tabrets, you know what they are? They're, they're like tambourines. And so basically within him was percussion, rhythms, drum beats. It says tabrets and pipes were within him. The pipes have to do with the symphony. Those that are musicians will understand this real easily, but you take C, E, and G, and you play those three notes, and it makes the C chord. And within him, there was some kind of a symphony or some kind of melody that would come forth. And it seems to indicate that at one time, Lucifer was the one that oversaw the worship in heaven, and he was an anointed minister. I don't think people have really thought about this. But he is a fallen minister. And this may sound a little funny when you hear it, but if you think about it, it's, it's right on. God had all of his angelic host and there was order, but Satan went around and he, he tried to undermine God and turn the angels he had influence over against God. And basically he led what would be a church split. I know that sounds kind of funny when you first hear it, but he led a rebellion and he took a third with him. And what it seems, when you just look at this, you have to wonder that there was three main high-ranking angelic beings in the Word. And there was a third of the angels that fell with Lucifer. So you have to wonder if God didn't allow Michael to have some kind of a third of the angels. Gabriel maybe oversaw a third. And Lucifer oversaw a third. And Lucifer went to his third and turned him against God. Well, when this happened, there was a rebellion and God stripped Lucifer of any authority and power that he ever had. But let me just say this. He was still created with tabrets and pipes within him and he still had all that um, was in his DNA, if you will. What was in him was still in him. I mean, he had his authority ripped from him. He had his throne removed, but he still is who he is, who he was created to be. And so God took him 
and hurled him down to the earth and the third of the angels with him. Now, what's really interesting, let me read you these scriptures and I'm going to tell you some things that, that scientists believe because I think that there's a connection. But in Job 9, 5 through 7, it says, God, now I want you to think about this scripture, God who removes the mountains and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of place and the pillars of it tremble. He commands the sun and it rises not who seals up the stars from view. Let me just pose this question. When did this happen? There's not been a time since Adam and Eve where the sun did not rise, the stars were shut off, mountains were overturned, the earth was knocked off of its axis, which if that happened, things would freeze. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's not been a time that this happened from Adam till now. So you have to wonder, because if you read the book of Job, a lot of people don't know what the book of Job really is, but it is a lot more than a story about a guy that went through all this stuff. If you really read it, there's a lot of depth, and there's a lot of revelation like this hidden within it. And there's other scriptures. Jeremiah said, I looked at the land, and behold, it was at the time of creation, waste and vacant and void, and at the heavens, and they had no light. I looked at the mountains, and behold, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly to and fro. I looked, and behold, there was no man, and all the birds had fled, etc., etc. And you can read these other scriptures. But it seems like God, in his anger at the rebellion that Lucifer led, that he cast him down to the earth, and the earth was, was put into a destroyed condition. Darkness now came over the surface of the deep. You know, it's interesting because I want you to think about what I just said. Now, what do scientists believe? They believe there was a time that there was some meteorite that came out of the sky and hit the earth. It was so big and powerful that it, it caused this dust or whatever to go up and the sun and the stars were cut off and everything froze. Just saying that's what they believe. Now let's just think about that for a minute. How much does that sound like what I just said? That something like a meteorite came down and struck the earth, and then the earth moved into a destroyed condition. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But when Lucifer fell to the earth, and he was stripped of his authority... He was still who God created him. It was still in his DNA about music. And he was at one time the one who ministered. So Lucifer's position was kind of like a priest. He was anointed. The Bible says he was an anointed cherub. You need to look up and study cherub on your own. But a cherub is different than just another angel. He was anointed cherub. And he, the Bible says that he walked on the mountain of God among the fiery stones. And I'll read that here in a moment. But when he fell to the earth, he had no authority within himself anymore. He had lost all of his authority. But he was still very intelligent. And it could have been millions of years. Who knows how long the earth was in that destroyed condition. But at some point in time, God decided that he wanted to change things. And so he began to speak, let there be light. He began to move the waters and he put vegetation and did all this that we know as creation. And on the sixth day, he created Adam 
And Adam stood upright, a living soul, and he gave him dominion. And Satan, Lucifer, was there. I mean, he was in the background, but he was there. And he saw what God had invested in Adam, and he lusted after it. He coveted that. Because Adam was created in the image of God. And so Adam, you got to understand, Adam was an extremely powerful being. If it wasn't for the fall, things would be so different right now. Adam was a spirit, he had a soul, and he had a, a supernatural body. They didn't get sick. They didn't have to sleep. I mean, it was a supernatural... He was brilliant. He understood you know, zoology, biology. He understood everything that he needed to know about creation. He didn't have to read it from a book because God put it in him. He had incredible authority and power to the degree that he could stand flat-footed and point into the heavens and it would obey him. Those birds and things would obey him. And he could speak on the earth and everything would come into alignment with what he spoke. I mean, he was basically ruling and had dominion. You hear what I'm saying? Authority. And Satan looked at that and lusted after it and coveted it. And he wanted to see, how can I get that from him? Well, we know the story that Adam was lonely. God took a rib, created Eve. And so Adam began to study things out. I mean, uh, Satan began to study things out. And you don't need to underestimate when I talk about the enemy. Because there's people out there that are very ignorant. And they show their ignorance because they, they make fun of things that they shouldn't make fun of. But you don't need to underestimate the intelligence of your enemy. Because the enemy, Satan, is not a fool. He's not an idiot. He's actually intelligent. But how many knows greater is he that's in us? And God will give you the victory and protect you. But anyway, Satan began to study and he was trying to figure out how can I get this from Adam. Systematically, he decided to choose the serpent. He didn't choose the lion. He didn't choose a bird. He chose the serpent for some reason. It was a beautiful being back then. Now it's under a curse and it gives everybody the heebie-jeebies. Okay? But before the fall, it was different. So anyway, he chose the serpent. He chose the day. He chose the time. And he chose to go through Eve to do it. He approached her. I'm sure he approached her when, he was hungry, when she was hungry. Deceived her. She fell. Adam went with her. Now here's the point. When Adam ate the fruit, whenever you, the Bible says you're a slave to the one you obey. So when Adam ate the fruit, he became subservient to Satan. And basically, to make it simple, he took his authority and he gave it to the devil on a silver platter. said, here you go. And Satan connived his way into getting and stealing Adam's authority. And from that time that sin entered the world and Satan stole Adam's authority, Satan has been setting up structures in the earth. And I'll explain that with principalities and powers. And they've had 6,000 years of studying humanity. And you don't need to take your adversary lightly, but you will have victory because Jesus already paid for it at the cross. So the theories are where demons come from that number one, angels fell. A third of the angels fell with Lucifer. They get that out of Genesis when it says the dragon swooped down a third of the stars with him. And I do believe that to be true. There's another theory among theologians that there was a race of beings of some kind that were on the earth 
that when it was destroyed, they became demons. I don't know if that's true or not. If there was something here, it was probably angels that were connected to God's kingdom somehow that fell with Lucifer. But there is a crazy story about the Nephilim in Genesis 6. So continuing on with the story, we know Cain and Abel. Cain decided to kill his brother Abel. I mean, this is just the next generation here after the fall. And as time went on, Satan's kingdom knew. See, God had told Satan in the garden that there is going to be enmity between you and the seed of this woman. And listen to what God told the devil. He said, one of these days, you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That's what God said about Jesus. He said that, that you're going to strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And I could just see Satan walking off out of there going, man. And he's trying to think in his mind, how can I stop this from coming to pass? This prophecy, what well, God spoke, he said that there was going to be a seed of the woman. That she was going to give birth. A woman was going to give birth to someone who I was going to strike his heel, but he was going to crush my head. I've got to stop this thing. And so as he went on through the generation studying humanity, he decided in Genesis 6 to begin to use his fallen angels to go forth, and this is in your Bible, study it out, to begin to have sex with the women and to produce this weird race of beings called the Nephilim. Now why did Satan do that? Because he was trying to pollute the bloodlines of the world. He was trying to alter their DNA. You know what the result of that was? Giants were born. So you had this race of beings that were mixed. They were mixed fallen angel and sinful man. This is a bad mixture. The Bible says that all of their thoughts continually were on evil. And God was grieved in his heart that he made mankind. That's what it said. And it said that the earth was filled with violence because of them. And I would imagine it was filled with all kinds of witchcraft and occult practices because of what was going on. But the Bible says that God looked down and saw Noah, that he was blameless in his generation. Now you need to hear this. What that means in the Hebrew was that his bloodline was pure. That's what it means. Blameless in his generations. He was a descendant of Enoch who was raptured. You remember the story. Anyway, he was blameless. His bloodline was not intermingled with this. And he was a preacher of righteousness. He was a righteous man. He loved God. He feared God. And God saw Noah and he wanted to, God wanted to destroy the earth. But you know and I know that God remembered that prophecy. That he was going to send a Messiah who would crush Satan's head. And so he saw Noah, and Noah was somebody that, that he knew that he could trust. And so he spoke to Noah to build the ark. We know the story. The family went into the ark. God flooded the earth. By all indications, the first time the earth was destroyed before Adam, it seemed to have been in a flooded condition. And, it, and once God flooded it the second time, God told Noah, he said, I'm going to put a sign in the heavens. It was a rainbow. And he said, I'm making a covenant that I'll never destroy the earth with a flood again. But God wiped out the Nephilim and he started over with Noah and his family. 
All the races of the earth go back to Noah and his family. But many believe that when the Nephilim were destroyed in the flood, and there's no telling how many, could be tens, could be hundreds of thousands of beings were killed in the flood, there's no telling. But, but scholars believe that those, those beings became demons. Now what's the difference between demonic spirits and fallen angels? There is a difference. Demons are disembodied spirits. Angels have bodies. That's the difference. When you're dealing with fallen angels, you're dealing with very powerful beings. They're very intelligent. And they make up the higher rank, the higher echelons in Satan's kingdom. Principalities. Now you're dealing with some of these little demons that scurry around and they mess with people. It's really hard for me to ever believe that they're fallen angels. These are little demons. There's a difference. Some of them, bless their heart, are not as smart as others. Okay, And some of them are, um, well, let's just say that they, they seem to not be very powerful at all. But when you're dealing with fallen angels, you're dealing with, with some power and authority. Okay. So demons are disembodied spirits that are looking for a place to dwell. We know that they can dwell in and upon human beings. We know Jesus allowed them to go into the swine. They can be in animals. We know that they traffic in and out of, of dwelling places like houses, apartments, buildings. They're in pagan temples like you wouldn't believe. And I've even heard of demonic spirits dwelling in things like rocks or boulders or trees or whatever. They can, they're disembodied spirits. I mean, they can be wherever. So let, let's break down real quick Satan's kingdom and then I'm going to get into iniquity drives because that's where I'm going with this. So Satan's kingdom is made up of number one, world rulers. World rulers are very powerful spirits that blanket the whole world with their influence. You're dealing with things like a Jezebel spirit there. You're dealing with rebellion. You're dealing with the Antichrist spirit. You're dealing with Leviathan. You're dealing with Baal. You're dealing with high-ranking, higher-echelon spirits that, that rule. They, they blanket the entire planet with their influence. When you're, when you're dealing with principalities, they're over geographic locations. Some of them very big. Some are very small. Allah that's worshipped in the Islamic world is a principality over that region. But he's grown in power because of the multitudes that worship him. And every time people are killed for Allah, that's a human sacrifice that empowers him all the more. Buddhism. There's a principality over Buddhism. There's a principality over different nations. So there's a principality over America. He lives in Washington. You wonder why people go there and then they get jumbled up. You understand? If they don't have the blood of Jesus and they're not got a powerful prayer covering, they're coming up against stuff that's extremely high ranking to mess with their minds. Then you've got principalities over regions. There's principalities over like Las Vegas. There's principalities over California, especially Hollywood. There's principalities over different regions like New York when you're dealing with greed. Chicago's known for its corruption. 
There's places that have these principalities. And a lot of times the way you can see the principality is look at the leadership over the area. When you looked at, uh, for example, you know the stories, but look at Hitler. When you saw the principality that was ruling over Germany at that time, it was embodied and, and it, it, it showed itself through the life of Hitler at that time. The same with Stalin. The same with some of the leaders that had been in Africa and other places. The, the principality over the nation will kind of show itself through the personality of the unsaved kings and queens that rule over it. Principalities over these regions. Principality comes from the Greek word arche, where we get architect. So whenever they're put over a region, now let's move to our region. When there's a principality over this region, over the Dallas area, and there's a principality in East Texas. The principality here, it will study the area, it will study God's people, it studies churches, it studies preachers, and it begins like an architect to blueprint out satanic attack against God's people and how it's going to create strongholds and structures and establish its kingdom. And whenever it comes time for an attack of the devil to be released against God's people, the principality will release the powers to go. <clears throat> Hear me, because the powers are the ones that mess with people's minds predominantly. And when they go, they operate a lot in the realm of your mind. Severe confusion, depression, discouragement, whatever. It could be lust, it could be greed. They're, moved, they're messing with that person's head. And underneath the powers are these little demonic spirits that run around carrying out the will of the power who is carrying out the will of the principality, who ultimately answers back to Satan. So that's the structure. And the angels that, back in Genesis 6, that had sex with the women... We don't know the exact number, but there are writings that said there was about 200, but the Bible doesn't say. But they are bound in the lowest part of hell in a place called Tartarus. In chains, they're bound there. Now people believe, again this is speculation, doesn't say it in the Bible, but people believe that in, in was it Revelation 9 where the abyss is open and the smoke comes out? They believe that those, those fallen angels and other ancient spirits are going to be released on the earth in the last days. So I just want to give you a vision of Satan's kingdom. And all I know is this. It doesn't matter, and I say this with humility, it doesn't matter if it's Satan, it doesn't matter if it's world rulers or principalities, the Bible says that I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And greater is he that's in you that's in the world. There's nothing to fear. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear. Okay? And the reason the Son of God appeared, 1 John 3, 8, is to destroy the works of the devil. Acts 10, 38, the Son of God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. So Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. He defeated him for you. And he's given you authority over the enemy. So it doesn't matter where God puts you. He may put you in some of the most difficult situations. 
But the Holy Spirit is within you. The blood of Jesus is over you. You're clothed with power from on high. Angels encamp around those that fear the Lord. And God will give you victory wherever He puts you. Sometimes you've got to press through and you've got to punch a hole in the sky and through your prayer and fasting drive back the forces of darkness. But you can. Real fast, let me get into iniquity and then I'm going to read these scriptures I promised to explain about the devil and I'm going to close it out. But I've already explained this, so I'm going to move quickly. But sin, transgression, and iniquity are three completely different things. 1 Peter 2.24 says that Jesus bore in His body your sin so that you can die to sin and live righteous. Nobody better ever tell me that they cannot live righteous as a Christian. That's not possible. You can. The Spirit of God is within you and Jesus paid for it on the cross. You may have to get healed from some things. You may have to get delivered from some things. You may have to learn to renew your mind. And you may have to learn some things in the Bible. But ultimately, if you're really a true Christian, you will go from glory to glory into a place of victory. You will. God will take you there. And it says that by His stripes you were healed on the cross. So sin means to miss the mark. It's somebody that, like a bow and arrow, you shoot at the target and you miss. Everybody in life, the rest of your life, will stumble here and there and sin here and there. I'm not talking about these big, you know, huge things, murdering somebody. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about you've been a Christian and you go along and maybe, you know, somebody does something to you, you had a bad day and you pop off and you're rude to them and then God convicts you and you repent. Everybody has their flaws. Nobody's perfect. So every day you need to come under the blood and be humble and get washed in the blood of the Lamb every day. Make sure you forgive people. But that's sin, and Jesus paid for it on the cross. Transgression is more sinister because it means rebellion. Transgression is that you know something's wrong, and you sit there and you look at it, and you contemplate, and you decide, I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. That's transgression, it's rebellion. It means that you premeditated it, you knew it was wrong, and you did it anyway, and it's more serious than sin. Sin is, can be washed pretty quick. The Bible says about transgressions that it has to be blotted out. But how many knows? Jesus, it says that He was pierced on the cross for your transgressions. So don't get into this condemnation stuff. If you've transgressed in the past, repent, get it under the blood, and God will forgive you and pardon that transgression. But it's a rebellion. Iniquity, again, is completely different. Iniquity in the, in the Hebrew means to be bent, crooked, perverse. Now picture, if you will, somebody has a bow and arrow and they're shooting at the target and their arrow looks like this. So every time they're shooting it, it goes off to the side and their shooting goes off. And so they're trying to aim it all crazy, trying to hit the target and they, they seem to constantly be missing. What that is, there's an iniquity that gets in people that's bent it's a perversion. It's something that's in somebody that's bent. And it's a drive within them towards something. And it feels like that it controls their life. But it says in the Bible that Jesus was bruised for your iniquity. And the punishment that brought peace was on it. See, people, are, they lack peace. They're tormented when they have iniquity drives. Because there's something in them that's bent and they, they want to do good, but they keep being driven toward 
these sins. The iniquity drive could be sexual. The iniquity drive could be greed. The iniquity drive that's very strong has to do with um, the occult. Because I'm going to tell you something about the occult. The occult and all of that, it's, it's a spider's web, but there's something about it that has a pull. It has a suction. And once somebody has been touched by it somehow, there's, there's a pull there that tries to suck them back in their whole life until they deal with it. They can be free, but it will continually be pulling on them. And the way it pulls a lot of times is an unhealthy curiosity toward it. They're curious. They go by an occult store and they they're just feel something tugging them in. That's an iniquity drive. They struggle with greed and materialism and it's an iniquity drive. They struggle with fame and, and wanting to be so successful and it's a drive within them. There's something in them. Iniquity comes through repetitious sin. It can also come down the bloodline. This is definitely how iniquity will come. It travels down the family line because it gets in people's DNA. Your blue eyes, your hazel eyes, and all that's in your DNA. Your skin color is in your DNA. But also, until the blood of Jesus takes it out, the stuff of your ancestors spiritually is also in your DNA. It's a spiritual thing. It's the spiritual part of your DNA that science can't see with the eye. They can't see it under a microscope, but it's there. And once you pray, truly pray about iniquity... God will purge it out of your DNA and purge it out of you and set you free. And, and what was bent will become straight. Amen? Amen? So let me start closing this out. Ezekiel 28, about Satan's origin. He was a fallen minister, basically a pastor or a priest of sorts that led others astray. He was an anointed worship leader and ultimately a church splitter. Ezekiel 28, the word of the Lord came to me. Now listen, this is really interesting. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Now it's talking about the devil. <clears throat> it says, you were a seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Cornelian, crystallite, emerald, topaz, onyx, jasper, all the others. Your settings and your mountings. And I put this in the parentheses here. Timbrels and pipes. It says in the King James, they were formed in you. They were made of gold. On the day you were created and you were prepared. Those things were put in him. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. And people that know Bible symbolism, mountains speak of governments. So he was up there in the government of God. You walked among the fiery stones, which has to do with God's manifest presence near his throne. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness, or that can be translated iniquity, was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned, so I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, 
and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made you a spectacle before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out of you and it consumed you and I reduced you to ashes to the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you were appalled at you and you've come to a horrible end. So Satan walked among the fiery stones near God's throne. He operated in the anointing. Did you know that? That there was a time Satan operated in the anointing. He led anointed worship. That was his gifting. Music was within him. But his merchandise and his trading, what does that mean? What was his merchandising and trading? Here's what I believe that that means. This is just my thoughts about it. But I believe that he would take the worship that belonged to God and he would try to turn it on himself. I also believe that he would take the words of God, that he heard God speak the words of God or whatever, and he would put a twist on them to make him to try to make God look bad. Now you can see that in the Garden of Eden whenever he came to Eve and said, did God really say this? He's basically, he's just trying to withhold something good from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. So you can see the same nature there. But I believe that he took the words of God, if you will, and he went to his angels that he had influenced, and he twisted those things to make God look bad and to turn their hearts from God to him. That's what I believe his trade, his merchandise, that's what he was doing. He was merchandising the anointing. To get what he wanted. And I'm going to ask you this. You know, Satan fell because of pride. He, was, he became evil because of pride. But I want to ask you about the motives of your heart. Because this is important when it comes to iniquity. Why do you want the things that you want in life? What's the motives behind it? Listen to me. I really want everybody to hear this. This is one of the main things I wanted to get to out of all of this. I gave you the ABCs. I laid it all out there so that you would kind of get to this place. Now I'm wanting to get a little deeper. Because Satan became corrupted on the inside. So what is it? On, I want you to think about why do you want what you want in life? Why do you want finances? Do you want them so that you can be a steward for God? So that you can be a blessing to other people? Or do you want them just so you can heap it on your own lust? Be honest with yourself. Why do you want, even, even this, why do you want people to be saved and brought into the kingdom? That's a wonderful thing to want, isn't it? But really, I believe some people's motives in their heart, deep down about that, is so that they can be elevated because all these people are getting saved and so people will look at them. Why do people want somebody to be healed when they lay hands on and pray for them? Is it because deep, deep down you truly love the person and you really genuinely want them to be healed? Or is there an ulterior motive where you want people to look at you and go, Wow, they were healed when you prayed for them. Same thing with deliverance. Same thing with things in the ministry. Why do you want the things you want? 
Too many people are doing things and they're taking God's anointing, they're taking God's gifting, they're taking the wisdom and the revelation God's given them and they're using it to merchandise it to get wealthy. Are you hearing me? And they're using things of God for their own personal gain. What they can get out of it. See, the motives of the heart, that's a big thing with God. That's what took Satan down. He became proud, pride, but the motives of his heart became evil. On the inside, there was iniquity that he became bent on the inside. And he started wanting what belonged to God to be the focus on him. And you need to take inventory of your whole life. Because things should not have you. This is for everybody. Things should not have you. They should not control you. A house is just a house. A shirt is just a shirt. Your car is just your car. Whatever it is, it's just stuff. But too many people have idols and they have this, this iniquity drive in them because of the idol that there's an unhealthy connection. And they don't want to give things up. They, they love their, their things that they have in life. That they've accumulated. So I'm going to show you a little bit more about the devil. Because see, I told you you would see how this affects you. Do you see how now this affects you now? Now? In your life? You can see as a Christian how the, your adversary is trying to do in you what he did a long time ago. He's trying to put iniquity in people. He's trying to corrupt their motives and get them impure in their heart, where they're even if they're doing the right thing, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. <clears throat> but here's Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once lay low the nations. You said in your heart, now listen to this, he said in his heart, Satan became proud, Iniquity was found in him. And this is what he said in his heart, inside of him. This was the motives behind his rebellion. We see the rebellion. But here's what Satan was saying inside of his own heart. He said, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But the Bible says you were brought down to the realm of the dead. To the depths of the pits. So those who stared at you they pondered your fate. Is this the one who shook the earth and made nations tremble? Now. I want you to think about this. This is the famous five I wills of Satan. He said, I will ascend to heaven. You know what that is? That's pride and desire for fame and success. He had a pride in him and he had a corrupt evil desire for fame and success. I hope you're getting this. You know how many people have maybe gone into with sincere motives at, at one time. They wanted to get into the music business. They were a Christian. They wanted to get into Hollywood or whatever. And they started getting in there. And all of a sudden, things within them, maybe they hadn't dealt with. Stuff that was within them, the impure motives began to come out. 
And all of a sudden you hear about them falling away from Christ. And they sell out completely. Why? Because they didn't fully deal with this. I will ascend to heaven. It's the pride, it's the desire for fame and success. Listen, the only reason we truly should live everything in our lives is to bring the Lord glory. Anything that is to bring you glory is going to corrupt you. It was never about, I will ascend to the heavens to glorify God, to get everybody's attention on God, to worship God, to give Him all the glory. It was not that. Satan was saying, I will ascend so that people will look at me. He wanted success and fame. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. You know what the stars of God are? That's your peers. See, Satan was a light bearer, but the other angels were seen as stars. Are you hearing me? So they were seen as stars. So Satan was saying this. He was saying, I'm going to be exalted above all my other peers, all the other angels, all the other thrones, all the other cherubs, everybody else. I'm going to go above them. I'm going to be superior to them. You're seeing this stuff too much, I think, in the church because even to this day, you're seeing people and it's entertaining. People will get up to lead worship or whatever and you'll see it. It may be on Christian TV or it may be in a church or a ministry function. But you'll see somebody get up and sing a song and at the end of the song, you can tell they did it for the applause. Let's just be real. They did it for the applause. They were entertaining how many people out there, they're, they're called to some kind of a ministry thing and with, within them, they want to see their peers brought down and them brought above them. That's the nature of Satan in them. See, that's got to die. That's got to be pulled out. That's iniquity in people. They want to be above and superior to everybody else. I have heard of ministers doing this, and I, I pray for their soul, but I've heard of them trying to destroy other ministries and other churches to elevate themselves. That is exactly what the devil wanted and what he was doing, and exactly in them, the enemy's nature being imparted in them and carried out through them. Satan went on to say, I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the north, he wanted to be at the top. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Clouds always speak of God's glory. He wanted to go to a place where everybody would be worshiping him and he would be stealing God's glory. Now, before you dismiss that out of your life, think about it. When you pray for people, when you witness to people, when you lay hands on people, when you operate in the gifts, whatever you do, are you genuinely wanting the Lord to really get all the glory or, or are you wanting some of the credit? This is a time just to be honest with yourself, okay? But there are times where people will pray and they're seeking God about something and they're praying, but really the motive in their heart is that they want something to happen so that people will recognize them. I wonder how many times people, they're praying for a major miracle in their ministry, they're like, Lord, we want to see this major miracle. But the Lord knows that in their heart, 
they want to use that miracle to elevate their ministry in their name. They can parade that little person around. Now here's the thing about that. That's the perversion. But God will give major miracles. And God will be glorified through it. And he will do these things and it will bring honor to certain people that are involved. But if their hearts are pure and they're not corrupted and they're not tainted, it won't ruin them and it won't take them down. Because even though there's a major miracle, they're going like this. They're saying, I didn't heal that person. You know, it didn't matter if I prayed for him or somebody else prayed for him. God healed him. And God needs to get all the glory. So, you know, don't look at me. That's their heart. And as long as they have that heart and they keep deferring the glory to the Lord. And let me tell you that that's one of the things I really respect about Benny Hinn's ministry because there have been so many people over the years that have looked at him. They want Benny to heal him, you know. And, And Benny, I've seen him live in these crusades and he's constantly telling people, I cannot heal you. I couldn't heal a fly if I wanted to. I've heard him say that. I cannot heal you. He says, I am glorifying Jesus. And when you worship Jesus and you get your eyes on Jesus, Jesus will heal you. And he keeps deferring everybody's focus on Jesus. He's your savior. He's your healer. He's your deliverer. He's the one you need to look to. And he keeps deferring all the glory to Jesus. And so people get their eyes off of Benny and they get them on the Lord and they do get healed. And ultimately, Satan said, I will make myself like the Most High. Now, let me just say this. There are too many people that they are their own God. You know, when a child is born into the world, you don't have to sit down and teach that baby to be selfish. You don't have to teach it to be rebellious. You don't have to teach it to be prideful. You don't have to teach it to be its own God. It is totally like a vacuum, just sucking in everything it can get for itself, okay? And so, here's what happens. When they're little, you've got to start breaking that sinful nature in their life through discipline. And pretty soon, they will understand, I'm not going to get everything I want in life. I'm not going to be selfish. I'm not going to be a brat. I'm I'm definitely not going to be rebellious because when I do, my hiney really hurts. I'm not going to be prideful and I'm not going to be a liar because whenever I lie, mom and dad really ground me bad. And so they learn to, to quit being that way and it, it breaks that in them. Now listen, if that's not broken in them as a child, they will be their own God as they get older. And all they'll think about is what makes me happy, what I can get out of it. They'll use people for their own purposes and all they care about is me, me, me. And I'm not trying to be mean, but it sounds like some of the politicians in Washington. My throne, my seat. But anyway, it's me, me, me. And you've got to break that. Let God break that in them. That's that iniquity drive. And I want you to be honest with yourself and ask yourself, am I somebody that has lived just for myself? What I can get out of life? Usually these type of people will use people. They'll take advantage of others. They'll do things that will hurt others, but they're, they're more concerned about gratifying what they want than they are about the other person's feelings. And so it's me, 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 a self-God. That is the iniquity drive of Satan. He became 
someone that said, basically, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to be like Most High. And you know what? He tried to get, he, he was successful, but that's what he told Eve in the garden. He said, look, the lust of the eyes, this fruit <laughs> looks good, don't it? And he said, the pride of life, he said, if you eat of this, you will be like God. So he took his own fall and he took that evil nature to Eve and he tricked her. And he was trying to say, you can be your own God. You can be like God, but you can make your own decisions. You know what's best for you. You don't have to submit to authority. You can do what you want to do. You know what's best for you. Run your own life. Live any way you want to. Basically, that's what it was saying. You're your own God. And you see that in people. They have an attitude like, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to submit to anybody. I know what's best for me. I'll do what I want to when I want to. If God doesn't break that in them, that'll be their little chant all the way straight to hell because that's a rebellious spirit. But God has to break that in people to where they begin to be humble, submitted to authority, and right before God. Amen? These are iniquity drives. So I'm closing with this. We're going to pray. These are iniquity drives in people. That something in them is driving them. They want to be their own God. They want to be lifted up above others. Jesus said to humble yourself. And in due season, Peter said in due season, God will raise you up. You know what that due season is? That due season is the gap of time where God can humble you and do a work in you to where when He does elevate you, it's not going to ruin you. Iniquity drives. is things that drive people. And I, and I, want, to, I want you to think about is there things in your life to where you have felt driven? You have felt driven maybe sexually. Sexual sins. Maybe you have felt driven about alcohol. Maybe you felt driven about unforgiveness. Like you, you forgive and you pray about it, pray about it, pray about it. But there's something. Maybe you felt driven about greed and materialism. Making money. Being successful. There's a drive. I've known people like that. I mean, they, they just, it's just a focus. I mean, they'll lose, they'll be married three or four times. Their kids don't even know them. They're just so focused on success. There's a drive in them. I want you to think about these drives because Jesus has come to set the captives free and He was bruised for your iniquity and the Lord can wash that out of you and His fire of His Spirit burn it out and He'll change you. But when He changes you, you've got to get used to walking in that liberty and keep renewing your mind and don't go back to old patterns. I'm going to deal with in the weeks to come. I'm going to deal with different bondages of the enemy and I'm going to expose different spirits. But we need to deal with this first. Is there iniquity in you or me, whatever? Is there iniquity? Examine yourself and find out, is there roots of iniquity? Is there anything there that the Lord needs to burn out and take out? I see it in the political structure of, of different denominations. 
People are vying for positions. In churches, where they have voting and stuff, we don't, never will, but anyway, where they do, they're always vying for positions. Vote for me. What? This is, this is supposed to be church. I've never really understood. It's not in the Bible. But where in the world? Why would we be voting? On what? Anyway, but that vote for me, and there's there's this vying for position, and different people look at me, look at look at how much money I have, look at this, and it's all about these things. That's iniquity drives in people. All right, if anybody wants to pray about that, I'm gonna pray with you. But I also want to say this: there are things the Bible talks about in Isaiah. This has been on my heart. I prayed for some of you already about it. I gotta be choose my words carefully because I don't want to go off on a whole nother sermon. Okay, but anyway, because I don't want to have to explain it right now. But there are things that can be taken captive in people. It's like part of them is taken captive. Also, there's things that the devil can steal, and it's locked up in treasures of darkness. The Bible says. Have you ever read that? Remember about Leviathan and all that. It says that it's locked up, I think it's Isaiah 29, I'm not sure, but it talks about the, um, the heavens being bronze. It talks about treasures of darkness. It's things that Satan has stolen and he's locked them up. But how many knows the Bible says Jesus has come to set the captives free? There was a story I was just reading. A man who, who has a very powerful deliverance ministry said that God gave him like this open vision where he actually saw this happening. There was somebody he was praying with, and he had reached the end of his rope, and he was like, Jesus, I've done everything I know to do. I don't know what else to do at this point. And he all of a sudden, he was in an open vision. And in the vision, this woman had been, been through tremendous pain in her life, a lot of trauma, okay? In the vision, he's following Jesus, and he said that it was like going down into the dark regions like dungeons. He said that Jesus didn't need a torch because he himself was illuminating. And so he was following Jesus and he said as they walked, the illumination off of Jesus was starting to light up and he could see the walls and he could see that it was like dungeons. It was like a prison. And there was, there was cells. And he was following Jesus just right behind him and he said Jesus stopped and turned and opened this cell. And he went in and he said he saw that woman that he had been praying for. She was in there, but she, in the vision, she was like a little bitty child. It was the time in her life when she was abused or whatever happened to her. And she was like a little child and she was curled up in a fetal position and she had chains on her. She was locked in that dungeon. And Jesus went over to her and leaned down and snapped the chains and picked her up and took her out. And he said he took her out of this dungeon and put her down in the hallway and he put his hand over her like this and she started growing, like maturing really fast. And the Lord prayed, Jesus ministered to her and she was getting healed up and took her out. And he said that when he came out of that vision, he said Jesus had sovereignly set her free. So my, the point of the story is this. There are people that things that have happened to them in life, it's like a captivation. They're, they're, they've... They've been put in some kind of a bondage. They're captive. And the Lord needs to break those chains. And there's things that have been stolen 
that somebody needs to lift their voice and crack that treasure chest open and command it to be released back out. Amen? So that was kind of what I was praying over some people earlier. I really felt when I was praying for you, I felt God break some of that. So Lord, we pray right now, corporately, everybody's agreeing, people that are watching this, people that are going to watch this, people that are going to be listening, I speak right now that things that have been stolen from you and areas of captivity in your life where something of you has been taken captive, I command in Jesus' name that those chains are going to be broken right now. I speak that the gates of hell that have been opened to your life will be shut right now by the blood of Jesus and sealed shut. And I speak that treasures, things that have been stolen, things that have been locked up, those chains are going to be broken right now. And I command whatever has been captive to be released out of captivity. And I'm asking you, Lord, to send your angels to enforce it. And Lord, we ask the blood of Jesus to come forth right now over people's lives and by the Spirit of God bring healing. But tonight, friend, if you want prayer, I I feel a mighty anointing here right now. We're going to go off from the recordings, but I bless every one of you. You're going to walk in the freedom Jesus paid for you to have. You are, and there's going to be no influence of the enemy's kingdom in any area of your life. You're going to be free from it. I bless you, and I speak that. And those of you that want prayer tonight, and I may call some people out and pray for you as I feel led, but the Lord is going to seal this. And I'm telling you, God's been speaking to me. There are things that at one time were captive. There were things that at one time were stolen that the chains are going to be broken, and it's coming back to you. It's being restored. 